Welcome to the Worship Corner Podcast from God Worship Media. This podcast is brought to you by BeaconAds.com. You know, I've used personally Beacon Ads for the past, oh, I don't know how many years on GotWorship.net and now WeLeadWorship.com for all of my ad platform needs. It's so simple. It's easy to do. You go in, give them a few parameters about what size ads you want to run on your site, where you want to put them, and with a little to next to no coding necessary, uh, you can have those put on your site. And the cool thing is Beacon Ads takes care of absolutely everything for you. They give you a listing on their site. People go, they find out what your site's about and whether or not you would be a good fit for their product or their good or whatever their services that they have to sell. And then people all of a sudden want to advertise on your site. I mean, how easy can that be? All, all of a sudden, you've got money from people that are advertising on your site. Uh, you can easily have a deposit in your PayPal or into your bank account. It is a great site, and I highly, highly recommend it. That's beaconads.com. And now, your host for the podcast, GotWorship.net's own Jason Whitehorn. Well, guys, welcome back to the Worship Corner Podcast. It's been a while since we've actually done this. Uh, back a few years ago, we uh, spent quite a bit of time interviewing guest worship artists, guest songwriters, uh, people that you would love to hear from in the worship community, and we're going to start doing that again. We've uh, still maintained some of the contacts that we've got back in Nashville, Tennessee with uh, a lot of our artist friends that we've got, and there are a lot of people coming out with a lot of great music these days, and we want to be able to hear from them. So, uh, if there's someone that's piques your interest that you want to hear from, then do me a favor, drop me a personal line at jason at gotworship.net, jason at gotworship.net, and we'll be sure to uh, see about including them on an upcoming podcast. But in any case, we wanted to uh, talk about a subject that we actually received in our email answer grab bag. And remember, at any time, if you have a question or something that you want to be either talked about on the website in an article, uh, or if you're just looking for some basic mentoring on something, or if you want something to be covered here on the podcast, send me an email, jason at gotworship.net. And we'll see if we can't cover it uh, during one of our answer grab bag questions. So one of our answer grab bag questions is, how do you deal with people who give you negative feedback on your song choices. Now, I've heard this question throughout the years, and I've addressed this over and over again because it seems like it's an, it's something that never dies. It's not, it's not timeless. I mean, it never seems to die. There's always going to be somebody somewhere that doesn't like a song choice or choice of music that you're doing uh, within a church. And and usually the dialogue goes like this. Well, why aren't you doing more of the hymns? We like the hymns. Um, and that that's a that's a typical conversation. Now I kind of want to dissect this in, in a few different pieces. Number one, if that's you, if you're a worship pastor or a worship leader that's dealt with people that are giving you uh, criticism because they don't like the choices of the songs that you're doing, then I, I want to give you some assurances to rest assured you're not alone. Uh, people have been doing this for years. I, I want to read to you a, a couple of uh, a couple of letters that were written to pastors and worship leaders about songs and song choices so that you know that you're not alone. Uh, one says, I am no music scholar, but I feel I know appropriate church music when I hear it. Last Sunday's new hymn, if you can call it that, sounded like a sentimental love ballad one would expect to hear in a saloon. If you insist on exposing us to rubbish like this in God's house, don't be surprised if many of the faithful look for a new place to worship. The hymns we grew up with are all we need. 
There's another one, another letter that was written that says, What is wrong with the inspiring hymns in which we grew up? When I go to church, it's to worship God, not to be distracted with learning a new hymn. Last Sunday's was particularly unnerving. The tune was unsingable, and the new harmonies were quite distorting. Ouch. Two letters uh, from different perspectives, but a common thread that runs in these, and that's talking about um, what's wrong with the old hymns that we grew up with. But would it surprise you that those two letters weren't written about any songs here recently? No, no one's upset about whether or not Crowder's right or John Mark McMillan is right about how he loves and which line to put in it, if there's a theological relevance or not. Those two songs, those two letters were written about two different hymns. The first one that I read to you was about the hymn, Just As I Am. The second the, the second that was so unnerving, so unsingable, and the new harmonies that were quite distorting, stilled him, what a friend we have in Jesus. So you, my friend, are not alone if you're dealing with these things. They've been dealt with for years. Now, what I don't want you to do with this information is take every single person that comes to you and says, hey, I don't like the songs that you're doing. I don't like the music that you're doing. And think, well, people have been saying that for years. I'm still doing it right. If there's one or two people that have that to say, or maybe a contingency of people that don't like change, that's one thing. If your community, however, is a community that is deeply set in those hymns, and doing something that's the, the newest, got the newest synth leads from Hillsong United or Hillsong Young and Free and has a lot of woes in it. Um, if you, you know, let Steve Fee touch any of her songs, you know, it's going to have woes in it. Um, sorry, Steve, love you. Um, but if, if those types of songs are being done and let's say your demographic of the church that you happen to lead at, the average demographic is 50, 60 and above those songs may not do too well, and you may not be doing what God would intend you to do by bringing new songs. Because if the songs don't relate to the community, the majority of the community, then we need to look at what songs do resonate. Now, most of the reason why we get pushback is because in most churches across America, uh, there's a younger and younger demographic coming in, and... Um, a lot of these songs that we that we do that are newer songs, they, they really appeal because it sounds kind of like what's going on on the radio. Now, to that extent, there are people that come in that say, you know, the hymns, the hymns, the hymns. And, and they're looking at it from this. I want to just kind of open up your mind and just kind of have a dialogue. No set format, no set agenda, just to talk about this for a minute. The reason why people talk about the hymns that they grew up with is because of a couple of different things. Number one, there's a feeling of these things are sacred. You don't change these things. And I'll tell you why that came about. It's kind of interesting. Um, for years and years and years, these hymns were done. And now you can hear from those two letters that I read, there was a point in time whenever hymns kind of changed a little bit. And, you know, the hymns that we know is just as I am were at some point new to somebody else. I mean, even the pastor uh, that wrote Amazing Grace, um, he was writing uh, a, at least one or two new songs almost every week to support his sermon. So that particular week that he wrote Amazing Grace, he had just happened to have written six new songs that he sprung on the congregation. So that's not a new thing. And, and sometimes we look at songs that are 
you know, standards like Amazing Grace and, and forget the fact that they were new at one time. There was even a common, um, a common fight that went on within churches whenever these older hymns that we know as older hymns or standard hymns were made and that they were done set to music that kind of um, rivaled, I wouldn't say, but kind of almost paralleled some of the same melodies and some of the same music that they would hear in the burlesque halls. And if you don't think that kind of ruffles some feathers... But why did they do that? They did that because they wanted to try to bring people in that might frequent those blessed bars and think, okay, here's something that's familiar. Well, now today, the people that hear songs like Amazing Grace are just as I am, but don't even bat an eye about it because those are songs that were familiar that we grew up with. Um, one thing that we're not taking into consideration is the fact that they were at one time new. But here, here's the thing, and this is kind of interesting. Somewhere along the way, there became the shift and momentum of music. We went to um, something called Children's Church. We divided off and decided we're going to do something called Children's Church. And this is, you know, back during the Jesus movement, even prior to that. And we realized that um, some of the standards that maybe kids don't get those. So we tried doing different songs, songs that maybe were more kid friendly. So then all of a sudden you get this newer, hipper music. Okay, if we can call it hip back then, uh, but newer, hipper music back then. And people who were uh, adults then had this mindset of there's two different styles of, of, of music. There's worship. And then there's this stuff that they sing over in children's ministry. And what we started to know more is contemporary music, uh, contemporary songs. And I use that term loosely because most of the time when we say contemporary, we actually mean um, vineyard circa early 1990s. Um, and we don't at all mean contemporary like in today. Um, but most of that music kind of came from uh, the younger generation. And there are a lot of people that still have the mindset that that's just music for younger people, that it doesn't have any place in the local church, that it doesn't have any place in adult worship. And that's unfortunate. You know, and these these discussions have been going on even before the era when we split off and started doing children's church separately. I mean, one of the most heated debates and, and disputes ever uh, was what led to what we call the, the joyful noise controversy. And that was over the use of, get this, organs and worship services. You know, it wasn't about whether or not you could make a joyful noise to the Lord, Um it was about a pump organ, basically. They were really getting popular back in the, the 1880s. And there are a lot of congregations that thought, well, this is interesting. It really enhances worship. But then there are a lot of people, I mean a lot of people, that thought, you know, organs really fall into that category of things that aren't talked about in the New Testament. So therefore, they're sinful to bring in. And there were a lot of people that would give pushback to having an organ in service because that was so sinful because it doesn't talk. You know, it talks about clanging cymbals and things like that, but doesn't talk about music with the organ. Um, so people were really up in arms about that. Now, look forward to today. I can remember vividly uh, going to be an interim worship pastor at a church. And this particular church was transitioning from tr from a traditional style to a uh, more contemporary-esque type style, contemporary-slash-modern style. 
And when I first got there, unbeknownst to me, one of the first decisions that the lead pastor made was to think, okay, new guy in town. Now it's time to get rid of the organ. Oh, wow. I thought I was going to get lynched. I mean, literally, just because an organ was taken out. And how many of you guys have been in the same place where you say, you know, look, we need to kind of get rid of, step away from this piano and organ stuff and go to maybe a guitar, bass, and things like that. And people think that you have just, um, you know, ushered in the Antichrist. Um, And they're that legitimate about it. Always keep this in mind. When you go through these trials, know that you're not the only one that's dealt with it. Know that people aren't being ridiculous in their request. When they talk about hymns, they talk about the, the not wanting to change this because what they feel you are doing is taking away something that is sacred. And you don't mess with things that are sacred in God's house. It's just how they feel about it. But they'll apply that same uh, being sacred to the old ancient wooden pulpit or the newer plexiglass see-through pulpit. Come on, guys. If you still got that, you're, you're still back in the 80s. Um, but things of, the, things of that nature, um, people look at furnishings and songs and things as if these are sacred and you don't modify them. So, guys, with all this in mind, how do we get around it? How do we deal with this? Well, for starters, I think you educate people rather than just expect them to take change. In congregations where I made a change uh, from a traditional type service into a blended type or into a contemporary type, I've, I've gone forward and made some, made some explanations to this congregation because they need some assurances. I've explained that, for instance, even the song that we talked about, Just As I Am, most people will resonate with Just As I Am. And there's a great version of that song by Daniel Doss. If you haven't heard it, learn it. Start implementing it in your churches right now because it is fantabulous. It just takes a new chorus and adds it to uh, the existing hymn. Well, I take that song a step further whenever I do it. And I usually will sing it with a congregation and let them hear it. And, and, and they feel a lot of relief whenever, especially if they haven't had a lot of older hymns. When they hear that, they, they, it tugs on some heartstrings from some past memories. But one thing I do, with I change that song so that the words to it, most all of us know the words, but instead of just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, I would change it to say, but that your blood. I mean, seriously, most people don't have a problem with hearing hymns. Uh, we, we assume that people can't... And, can intelligently handle complex hymns, and that's simply not the truth. Let me just get you to shy away from that fact, because people can, even people that are seekers, can understand complex hymns. They really can. Sometimes you may need to explain some things, but it's the language that we have problems with. Because if you start singing songs that are in a Shakespearean language, I mean, someone's going to walk in there and look at look at their spouse that, that they drug in there and said, Hark, what is this? I don't know. What is thy problem? It's... It's the music. I don't know. Thy brother is the one that hastened us to come here. Shall we leave and make haste? You know, people don't talk like that. So why do we talk like that in songs? So I'll change some of the words. It still has the same meaning. Just as I am, but without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me and that you bid me come to you. Doing words like that. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. So... When you're singing 
Um, and why would I not sing, O Lamb of God, I come? Because what does that mean? Because there's a lot of theological power in that, O Lamb of God. Because we, we all know about what lambs were, that they were sacrificial lambs. Jesus was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. So I wouldn't change something like that. I wouldn't change things of theological relevance. But words that are thee, thou, things like that, I'll change it to common language. And when you do that and, and ask people, what did you think here in that song? As long as you're not taking an alter in the melody just to where you can't even recognize it anymore, most people will listen to it and, and they'll think, oh, I like that song. I love just as I am. And they have no problem with Daniel Doss's new chorus because it's powerful. It's great. Like I said, you need to listen to it. It's a great song. And then I will, I will explain to congregations that I'm making a transition with to say this. Listen, I'm well aware that most of you don't like necessarily newer music, that you come to church expecting to hear the hymns, and there's something kind of unsettling with you whenever you hear songs that kind of have a modern beat or kind of sound like a rock song. And I get that. But can I just talk about one thing? It was okay for me with you to change those words from thee to you. Why? Because we understand that people don't talk like that anymore. And people simply coming in from the outside world who would come to want to know Christ or maybe don't even know that they want to know Christ. They just want to know something different about their life or what this church thing is all about. Don't get music that was written in the 1800s. Sure, you and I get it because we grew up with it. But if you and I were to walk into a church today never having never heard any of those songs and heard a bunch of these and thous, we think something crazy was going on. Yet we don't bat an eye whenever we hear it being sung because we're used to it. We're accustomed to it. You see, Andy Stanley puts things like this. When you live in a house and you've lived there for years, you get used to and accustomed to the furniture. And I'm talking about that old paisley couch and everything else that you've got. You get used to it. The old carpet. You've been there for years. But when someone comes over new and they see it, all they can fixate on is that paisley couch. doesn't matter how comfortable it is. It matters what the first impressions are. So most people are just coming into your church and seeing paisley couches when they hear old and outdated stuff. You see, you don't go out into your cars after you insist in the church of hearing the, the hymns of the 1800s and turn on Sirius XM radio hits of the 1800s. No. You're listening to country, you're listening to classic rock, you're listening to whatever you happen to be listening to. But you're definitely not listening to 1800s music. Why? Because it's not the time. And for most of you, it's not even the time period that you grew up in. Okay, most of you. If there's anyone that's alive listening to this or ever hearing me give this bill at a church and you were born in the 1800s, I will do whatever you ask of me to do. Um, you, you've earned that right. But in any case... I make promises to the congregation. Look, I get it. Can we all agree that what doesn't need to happen is that we get so complacent to say that these are the only songs that can adore God? Because whether they're songs that were written yesterday or songs that were written in the 1800s, my commitment to you and to this church is that I will always bring to you songs that glorify God. Now, I know some of you are concerned saying, yes, but today's music is so repetitive. 
And this is the point where I'll kind of joke around. I'll say, you know, I read one of those songs the other day that was really repetitive. Let me let me see if I can find it. And I'll, I'll fiddle around, try to see if I can rummage through papers. And then finally I go over and walk over to a Bible and I grab out the Psalms. And I'll pull up any number of David's hymns in the Psalms that were repetitive. And I'll explain. You see, sometimes repetitiveness isn't bad. Sometimes it's needed to be able to drive a point home. But I know what really probably irks you, and that's whenever songs seem to be so simple. Sometimes there will be need for songs to be very simple, because sometimes people walking in this door needs to hear a very simple word, and they need something that they can sing about and be very simple. But I'm not going to forgo songs that have meat, songs that have substance to it, which is why you'll hear songs like what we just did with Daniel Doss. And moments like that will really resonate. See, it's a difference in educating people rather than just thinking that there's a cultural barrier or a difference in generations and, and, and saying, well, you're going to feel this way and I'm going to keep doing whatever I want to. You'll find that your congregations will appreciate it more and actually embrace the music that you're singing whenever you explain things. Now, sometimes this involves asking your pastor, hey, can there be a Sunday night maybe, or maybe some time even on a Sunday morning uh, where you let me uh, give a message on worship and adoration? And this is easy to be able to put in there. You can accomplish that by doing so. Sometimes maybe in today's day of technology, you can put it out in a blog post. But either way, what you definitely want to do is communicate with your congregation instead of just assuming that they're just going to get over the music that you're doing. Because sure, some might get over it. But you know what? Some might actually grow from the music that you're doing if you gave them the opportunity to learn why you're doing it. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Hope that somehow my rambling uh, gave you some insight or gave you some clarity or maybe even gave you some help and hope. Listen, if you need anything, if there's any questions that you have or any topics you want to have discussed, make sure to send them in to me, jason at gotworship.net. Until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Got a question for the podcast? Send them in to jason at gotworship.net. Make sure to visit us online at www.gotworship.net for even more resources for worship.